What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 8, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Brief Candle. You can find us on Google Play Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to us, you've probably already found us. So what we're really telling you to do is tell your friends to go to Google Play Podcasts or Spotify or Apple. You can find us and rate us. They can find us and rate us. You can review us, tell us all the wonderful things we do, and give us a five-star rating. Then tell your friends to give us a five-star rating. And then tell your friends as friends to give us a five-star rating. And before you know it... We've got 5 billion people listening to our podcast. And we need 5 billion people listening <laughs> to our podcast. It's really kind of dependent on our egos. It's You wouldn't under... Anyway, uh, hey, Zach, how can people get a hold of us? So if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. We still haven't come up with a jingle yet. Oh, I didn't check to see if anybody emailed us a oh, jingle. Oh, I didn't either. So All right, let me, so let me see. Zach's going to look that up. Okay, I'm looking up right now. One thing that you might notice, at least the keen listeners will, is that uh, our witty repartee is actually rapid fire right now. Oh, Sad panda. Sad panda. Nobody's emailed us. That's okay. We know that you want to. And now that you're hearing this and you've said to yourself, I think I want to email them. You're going to do it. Anyway, so those that are really kind of paying attention to the speed at which we are chatting back and forth, that's because we are doing something monumentally special for this episode today. We're in the same room! Hi, Zach! Yeah, that was our high five. That's our high five. Hi, Brent. <laughs> We're so excited. <laughs> Normally, I'm uh, quite a distance away, and so we uh, try to do this. Oh, yeah, as you listened from last week's episode, we had all sorts of internet trouble. We and won't have internet trouble in this one, but it, we might have significant mic troubles yeah. and recording problems. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah. It's it's an adventure every time. It is. But that's why we podcast. That's why we're doing this. So, oh. Brief Candle. Brief Candle. All right. So, Brief Candle was directed by Mario Azapardi, and you might recognize that name from Children of the Gods. Mm-hmm. He directed the pilot mm-hmm. episode. Uh, he directed a total of five episodes of SG-1. They're all in the first season, and this is his second one. The story was written by Stephen Barnes. This is his only Stargate SG-1 credit. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he, but he has a long history of things. He's written things for Twilight Zone. He wrote an episode of The Real Ghostbusters. <laughs> that takes me back yeah, to my childhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he also wrote things for Baywatch and The Outer Limits. Uh, as I was going through his IMDb page, I came up with a quote from him. And as I read it, it kind of struck me as maybe fitting into this episode. So huh. we'll see if it does or not. Uh-huh. So here's his quote. He says, Life is a wonderful complex demanding game the way to win is to decide what you want focus on that goal surround yourself with people who will support your dream and nurture the ability to laugh at yourself uh-huh. yeah that's a pretty nice quote that is a nice quote and i can see how you f- how you can see how it fits into this episode yeah yeah so you know we might not reference that at all in which case Here's for, you know, loose ends. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, now I kind of have a, like a little goal. I'm going to try to reference this thing as I go. Ah, okay. Because Brent has this thing about needing to tie things up I, nicely. Yes. I don't care. I, loose ends galore. Who cares? History. Yeah, anyway. All right. So the story was by Stephen Barnes. The teleplay, though, was by Catherine Powers. Mm-hmm. And you might recognize that name from Emancipation. 
Oh, right. And that was the play or that was the story that she recycled from uh, like a Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek Next Generation. And so once again, with uh, the whole like moment where I'm watching this particular episode, kind of recalling Star Trek episodes with similar themes. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I see how it goes. Now, it might just be that uh, if you are in television science fiction writing, you're kind of in television science fiction writing. Right. Like, that's true. I imagine that if you're writing for Star Trek, you might also be writing for Stargate and maybe for other. Yeah, I didn't look up the, what all she's Ron done for, but she's got a long Moore. list of things that she's done stuff yeah. for. Um, uh, this is her second episode that she's written for Stargate. Uh, we'll see her name again several more times, mm-hmm. uh, even next week. Oh, so that fast. when we get to well, next time, next time, uh, next time. Uh, the original air date for Brief Candle was September 19, 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is just a couple of days uh, before Bilbo Baggins' birthday. Oh, right. Frodo Baggins' birthday. Yes. Incidentally, my mother's and my sister-in-law's birthday as well. Oh. The 22nd. Um, well, that's a that's a monumentous day. Yeah. Okay. So that's totally an aside. So what were people <laughs> listening to uh-huh. when this episode came out? Well, yeah. last week they were listening to Honey by Mariah Carey. Yeah. This week they are still. Yeah. Uh, this week in the UK, though, they were listening to Elton John's Candle in the Wind. Sorry. You're supposed to add that in post, Brent. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Do you think I can sync those up? I wonder if I'm on key and on tempo. I'm just going to see if I am or not. I, that'll be you fun. You know, even if you're not, you should do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll recall from last time that uh, right around this time is when Princess Diana's funeral mm-hmm. was. So yes. that's what that's all connected yeah. to. In the box office on uh, September 19, 1997, uh, number one was In and Out. Number two, The Game. Number three, Wishmaster. Number four, L.A. Confidential. Incidentally, this was uh, L.A. Confidential's release date. So they released on oh, yeah, number okay. four. And then number five, The Full Monty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember in and out I don't remember in and out either. And I don't remember Wishmaster. No, I don't remember. Uh, must have been a, is it a Halloween movie? Are we getting into Halloween movies? It's a little early for Halloween. It's September. Well, anyway. Anyway. So, celebrity birthdays. So, the 19th, we talked about birthdays with Bilbo just a couple days later. Yes, that's so, right. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, celebrity birthdays today. Adam West was born on September 19, 1928. Adam Wee. Sorry, that's an American dad reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> Zach is looking at me like I grew seven heads just now. I don't uh, watch American Dad. Yeah, no, no. It's it's uh, Adam West played him a character named Adam West who was very. I think it was it wasn't himself. Whatever. Anyway, at one point uh, somebody referenced Adam West, but like stopped spelling the name like W E and then stopped and it oh. just became Adam Wee. Wee. Yeah. Sorry. That's a long walk off or a short period. It's short, very short period. All right. Uh, another a notable birthday for September 19 is Jimmy Fallon, who was born in 1974. Happy birthday. So, um, a couple of trivia questions or mm-hmm. trivia things about this episode. The, the title, Brief Candle, is uh, a quote from uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can find the quote. The quote is, Out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. 
Yeah, that's uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that also reminds me of Stargate, Star Trek, Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge Trek nerd, too. Um, but uh, Q quotes that section from yeah. the Beth in an episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, that has nothing to do with Stargate. Did, uh, did but, wonder if Catherine What's-Her-Face wrote that episode that... I... I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, all right. Um, so this is Brief Candle. Um... O'Neill says that the average human lifespan is 60 or 70 years, in, but in 1997, the average life expectancy was about 76. I thought that, that when he said that, it felt a little short. It's a little bit short. Yeah. Not too bad. Right. Um, Daniel indicates that Pelops's experiment decreases the population's lifespan to about 1 250th of normal. Carter then says that instead of having to wait 100,000 years to see the effects of evolution or interference on the people, Pelops would only have to wait 100 years. Although being a theoretical astrophysicist and mathematician, <laughs> Carter would surely know that 100 years is one one-thousandth of 100,000. Uh-huh. Uh, the correct statement would have been that the effects would be visible in just 400 years. Yeah, details. Math. Math. Oh, that pesky math. Yeah. Okay, um, Gary Jones, he's uh, the, the Stargate operator. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Chevron to, yeah, Radar. Radar. Uh, so he's credited in this episode, but he doesn't actually make an appearance. <laughs> so, so I don't yet know his name. I've seen him a few times enough to be like, hey, it's Radar. Um, and uh, you tell me he's going to be better, a bigger part of the show, sort of. And here his name is in the credits. Well, no, just just his like the actor's name is in. Yeah, the, the actor's name right. is in the credits, but the scene in which he was in is on the cutting room floor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Pelops. Pelops is uh, the Guauld in this. Now, yeah. Pelops is a Greek character. Uh, he was king of Pisa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Little Caesars. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. Oh, carry, carry on. Carry on. <laughs> His father is Tantalus. Uh, he was also the founder of the House of Atreus. Uh, he was venerated at Olympia, where his cult developed into the founding myth of the Olympic Games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the most important expression of unity, not only for Peloponnesus, uh, the island of Pelops, but also for all of Helens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helens is Greek. Mm-hmm. The Greeks didn't call themselves Greek. They called themselves Hellens. Aha! So, there you go. I didn't know uh, that. Uh, at the sanctuary at Olympia, Chthonic uh, night lib- libations were offered each time to dark-faced Pelops in his sacrificial pit before they were offered in the following daylight to the sky god Zeus. Interesting. Interesting. I was reading yeah. that, and I was trying to figure out how that might actually fit in with this, and I guess I kind of think it sort of fits a little bit, but... Mm, well, I mean, like the nighttime libations, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I mean, there yeah. there was a, you know, like th- that very severe, you know, okay, go to sleep, okay, wake up, like, you yeah. know, like that yeah. day-night split was pretty strong. Yeah. So, um, okay, bye, ladies! Bye! So we, we have we have special guests and they're about to go uh, on on uh, on adventures of their own. Yes. Say hello to all of the people listening. Hi. There you go. There you, you heard it here first. Yep. So we are actually real people and we have real significant <laughs> others. <laughs> we don't live in Canada. We no, didn't actually no. pay them for any of this. Right. My 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 hot girlfriend from Canada. No. So you have a hot girlfriend from Canada? Mm, she's not from. Canada. I didn't realize you were from Canada. No. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago. 
All right, so it's close enough, right? O'Neill is from Chicago, and he records the show in Canada. In Canada, yeah. It, so it, perfect circle. That works out. There That's you go. It. There we go. All right. So uh, Zach asked me this time to go ahead and read the synopsis of the episode. I got bored. And uh, this is coming again from the Stargate Command wiki, uh, but also with my edits. With the, oh, with Zach's edits. Okay, great. So, all right. So here we go. Ready? And I'll try to do it in my best narrator voice. SG-1 arrived at a beautiful place. No, I can't do that for the whole thing. I'm totally going to mock you. Yeah, if I did that the whole way. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be like, what, like 10 minutes of, of this in a world where Brent does this for 10 solid minutes. He doesn't talk again for the next month. (laughs) SG-1 arrive at a beautiful planet, Argus. Immediately, they hear screams of a woman. Thetis, one of the inhabitants of the planet, is pregnant and in labor. She and her husband, Achelos, desperately need help with the delivery. Dr. Daniel Jackson draws what he learned from a midwife at an archaeological dig site some time ago and helps Thetis deliver her baby. Helps Thetis deliver her baby. In appreciation for Daniel's help, the couple decide to name their newborn son Danel. It's a lot harder than you think it is. Yeah. You know, last week you had your turn. Now it's my turn. Daniel observes that the culture worships an ancient Greek hero, Pelops, as a god. Pelops was almost certainly a ghouled and must have transferred these people to Argus a long time ago for his own purposes. Other than his statue watching over the temple, Pelops seems to have abandoned the planet. The Argosians treat SG-1 very well, and one woman, Kynthia, at, right? Kynthia, Kynthia, takes a strong liking to Colonel Jack O'Neill. She gives him a cake made from made for him alone. Ooh. Later, Kynthia and O'Neill have lots of close contact. That's another phrase of saying that they had carnal knowledge or Congress or they slept together. Oh, oh, oh. oh you dog. And this is where that Showtime thing is really coming into play, right? Oh, dear. Anyway, that night, however, all the Argo- Argosians suddenly fell asleep at the exact same time. O'Neill falls asleep mere moments later. Captain Samantha Carter supposes that there is something in the Argosian diet that has caused this corporate sleep. Was that your editor? Was that the corporate that sleep? That was my... my because it just sounded fun. Corporate, corporate sleep. sleep, yeah. After all, O'Neill was the only one to eat some of the Argosian food. Right? Yeah. He was the only one to eat some of the Argosian food, and he was also the only team member to pass out with the rest of the Argosians. The next day, all of them wake up at exactly the same moment. The Argosians apparently think this is a normal thing. Soon, they meet the young newborn, Danel, again, except he somehow is already a toddler. A little investigation reveals that the Argosians live for only 100 days, and, in the, and the normal human lifespan is squashed into that time limit. They grow old extremely quickly and savor all that Pelops has given them. Not, but they savor all that Pelops has given them. But something is happening to O'Neill. He is also starting to age rapidly, far more rapidly than even the Argosians. O'Neill sends the rest of the team back to Earth while he stays behind so that he cannot bring another disease back to Earth. Returning to Stargate Command, Carter and Dr. Janet Fraser, yay, Dr. Fraser, identify nanites in O'Neill and the Argo- Argosians' blood, which are responsible for making them grow old at this fast rate. Pelops was experimenting on the Argosians. He wanted to see what the ghoul host, i.e. the human body, would eventually become. Hence, he sped up the evolutionary process. For unknown reasons, he left before his work could be completed. Ultimately, SG-1 failed to work out how to... Wait a minute. Okay, we'll bring up the time gap. Anyway, ultimately, SG-1 failed to work out how to cure O'Neill, who now looks about 80 years old. 
stuck on Argos. O'Neill convinces the Argosi- Argosians that Pelops is not actually a god and that he thinks of them as slaves. In outrage, they tear down the statue of Pelops and celebrate their liberation. That evening, O'Neill and Kynthia go for a walk beyond the boundary of the village. Walking and talking, they lose track of time only to realize they didn't fall asleep when the sun went down. The next morning, they return to the village to find everyone still asleep. O'Neill realizes that there must be a transmitter of some kind in the village that is responsible for turning on the nanites on and off, and subsequently putting everyone to sleep and then waking them back up. The transmitter is discovered in the statue of Pelops that they had torn down earlier. With the return of SG-1, the nanites are stopped and the people are awakened. The Argosians will now live full human lifespans and can go to sleep when they please. Carter also realizes that the Nanites only imitated the effects of age, and so now that they are deactivated in O'Neill, his own immune system will return him to the original age. And that ends the brief candle. Ah, so brief. Just a candle in the wind. Hey! 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 Full circle, baby. Full circle. Full circle. So, yeah. So, the one thing that kind of I realized right there in the middle. Yeah. As I was reading that was it's it's uh, it's a bit of a plot problem that I have brought up, I think, before um, in relation to the movie. I think it was where I was saying that if these people in the movie, they had been isolated for 10,000 years or something. It was, it was a long time. Mm-hmm. And I kept kind of making a mistake when talking about it. And I was talking about it like that, that they had been away for a much shorter amount of time. And Zach, you were reminding me that, no, according to the story itself, that Stargate was buried 10,000 years ago. So these folks in the movie had to have been transported uh, much before. Um, so if, uh, if we're talking about humans who originated from the Grecian island somewhere, presumably the Peloponnesians, presumably, uh, then they would have been taken away 10,000 years ago Okay, well, then maybe the retcon is this. Okay, so if they were taken away 10,000 years ago and then immediately... Incidentally, Greek culture didn't exist 10,000 years ago. There's that. Um, uh, And immediately put into a program of accelerated uh, evolution for 10,000 years. And what did we say? One 250th, right? So so it's been 2,500,000 years of evolutionary time that has transpired for these people. Right. Which means that they have that's pretty boring they've (laughs) we're talking two and a half million years of evolutionary process on this species and the best we've got is a bunch of people that decide that like fan dances are the way to go like like i mean i get it they don't have time to develop culture all they do is party and sleep but on the same token you would think that biologically speaking they would have something different about them but the retcon that I just thought of was maybe Pelops only got it in his head to try this hyper accelerated evolution thing like, well, no, don't leave the village. It's our first rule. Yeah, this thing's full of plot holes. This is the second episode now <laughs> that Catherine What's-Her-Face has written that I'm already starting to be like, what? Oh, come on. Oh, well, uh, okay. Plot holes aside, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little teaser. Yeah. Um. There will come a moment in the not-too-distant future yeah. where if you think through the process, some of your plot holes might be filled up a little bit. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to explain sure. anything more than that. Yeah. Okay. Now, that said, there are still plenty of plot holes <laughs> with this. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, so, let's spin this thing around. Hey, Zach. Hi, Brad. Uh, how, what, did you, what did you think of the episode? Oh, well, you know... 
honestly, I actually enjoy the episode for the most part. Um, you know, it's just kind of a. I mean, last week we had this episode with the Knox and, mm-hmm. and Apophis came back, and now we kind of go back into uh, back a little bit and just kind of get the the general once a week story that yeah. uh, that happens here. But uh, uh, you know, I think the the storyline, you know, aside from the plot holes that would set this up, uh, actually works reasonably well. Yeah. Um, you know, you get this group of people who uh, don't have, literally don't have time uh, to develop a technological society. Right. Um, so this gets to your point about, about evolution. If they right. can't, I mean, they don't read. They don't know what letters are. Right. Um, uh, which begs the question, though, um, how do they learn to speak? Go to the bathroom. Right. All right. of these things, yeah. right? I mean, okay, so if you assume roughly that one day equals one year. Right. Okay, so after 30 days, you're roughly 30 years old. Right. Um, it took me way more than 30 <laughs> days to figure out simple things like, where are my hands? Yeah. <laughs> What are these meat things attached to the ends of these appendages that I can somehow... Why is slapping me in the face? Oh, it's myself. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, so give it a retcon moment of like, okay, well, then maybe their ability to absorb information is also... But they don't do any schooling. All they do is just party. The only explanation, and you'd have to just kind of play this into, is that the nanite technology Uh, does something to develop... A cultural sense, but now if the actual plan is to figure out how humans are going to evolve over time, mm-hmm. you have interfered with this evolutionary process so much that the best you have is bad data. Yeah, right. So uh, the <laughs> bad data, which could possibly explain the whole like uh, aspect of of like absolutely no cultural evolution at all in the equivalency of 250 million years. I mean, again, even though, so like, fine, all they do is just like party and uh, sleep. But you'd think that after 250 million years of partying, they would have figured out different ways to party. Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, okay, let's be honest. Okay, partying in the Middle Ages was (laughs) all about getting drunk and having sex. Yeah. And that's sort of what partying is like today it's kind of the same if you're in college although although you know i mean it is sort of just one big frat party it is it's it's a giant fraternity it's a greek party my gosh it's (laughs) so why was it pelops and not like bacchus yeah right right i mean like i was about to say the only thing that's missing is the kegger like (laughs) yeah but they've got they've had plenty of it how did they it. Well, that's you know what? That was the thing that actually crossed my mind. Now that I'm remembering, is that like there was so much about um, uh, it, it was deeply insinuated that all they do is relish life's moments, right? And so, uh, Kinthia uh, comes by with the cake, and the thought that crossed my mind was, who made it, right? So, not so much in the in the framework of. There's no way that she could have made this cake. It's more along the lines of like everybody's walking around in these comfortable clothes and they're drinking a lot of beverage and they're eating and they are blah, blah, blah. And it looks like nobody's actually doing anything. So like farming is now literally an intergenerational process. (laughs) (laughs) Son, 
your great, 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 great grandfather planted this field of wheat. And today is the day we get to harvest it. The, we lost track of where the plow is. <laughs> so we're going to have to do this the hard way. Stories tell us. The legends say we use this thing called a scythe. <laughs> oh, man. Farming is literally intergenerational. <laughs> oh. Yeah, let's add another one to the plot holes. Anyway, so there's somebody out there making cakes for them to be. There's like a dispensary or something where they're like, this is where you go for the food. Okay, now, now let's just imagine this for a moment. Okay, so apparently what Kinthia did to O'Neill was standard wedding procedure. Right. So here is standard wedding procedure. Hey, you want my cake? Ooh, la la. <laughs> I like you. you. Would you like some cake? It's got fancy drugs in it, <laughs> hallucinogenics and the like. Yeah, right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, sure. Let me have some of your hallucinogenics. Whoa. And let's do the marriage dance. Da, 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 yeah. No. Yeah. Who teaches them about the birds and the bees? Uh, they just have to look around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, okay. Well, then one th- So I was excited to watch this episode. So when we were, la- we were taking a look at the trailer, right? So the trailer is all about uh, O'Neill, like, getting really old. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure paradise land. And one of the artifacts is, like, everybody's really... Uh, ages hyper fast. And then O'Neill starts to age really rapidly. And I was like, hey, I like these kinds of stories. It's um, it's because I kind of I, I like uh, what characters no better said I like what actors have to do within the characters when they are thrown in these situations where they have to represent their character at different stages of life. Okay. Um, and it's usually a little bit groan inducing a little I think it's a little funny when somebody is like trying to act like an old man. Um you know, especially so the one thing that's coming to mind often is uh, Patrick Stewart's brilliant performance in Star Trek Next Generation in that one episode where he lives the entire lifetime like in a, in, oh, yeah. in a very the inner light. That's, that's that, that is one of the best. Oh, yeah. He won an Emmy episode. for that one. I mean, like he did a great job acting there. But the thing that I find interesting is that, you know, that was filmed uh, 20 some years ago. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's representing a character who was 20 odd, 30 years older than. He was, meaning the prosthetic makeup Patrick Stewart uh, was representing an age of, of, you know, of Jean-Luc Picard that is basically now represented in Patrick Stewart in real life. Right. So we have what they thought he was going to look like in 30 years versus what we actually now know what he looks like 30, 30 years, years later. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not this similar. It's 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 not. It's enjoyable to see what you can do on a, a you know, on a basically a shoestring television budget with special effects and, and that kind of stuff. And the same thing was happening here with um, Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, and the makeup as he was getting older and older. Right. And then his acting was, it was fine. It was, no, it was terrible. It was, it was funny. Well, it was, I don't know. It was laughable, Brent. Yeah, he got a little bit old. I hope not. Oh, and his, oh. And, and his southern drawl kind of crept out a little bit more. I don't understand why a man from Chicago gets old and all of a sudden comes from Kentucky. Kentucky. <laughs> 
well, you know, maybe he's from the Kentucky O'Neills, you know, so. I don't know. The, 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 the Irish Kentucky. Yes, 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 them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but oh. anyway, so I was excited for the show because of the, you know, like I said, I like, I like the, I like playing around with the idea of, well, of time, frankly. I mean, it's one of my favorite type of uh, science fiction uh, tropes, but it's also one of my most frustrating science fiction tropes. And, you know, so like, yeah, it's kind of enjoyable to kind of play around with that thing. But then, but then the story happened and, you know, the nanites were kind of cool and, you know, the premise was fine. The math was wrong, but the, <laughs> the, there were some basic like aspects of how their civilization like functioned, which are still like open questions. And, but, you know, towards when the whole thing was said and done, it was kind of a nice story about like, you know, what's important, what, uh, you know, what, what, what things should a person care about? This entire society has been built on a, you know, in some form of pleasure dome. And like, you know, when asked a pointed question of imagine that you had thousands of more days, what would you do? And, you know, the dude immediately launches into this like soliloquy about how he would become this great explorer. Right. Which again was a little bit like, really? Like you've, you've existed for 30 days. And the first thing you were like, you know, saying is like, I, I want to be a, I want to be a Magellan. I want to be the Magellan of my time. <laughs> I want to see what's over that hill. I mean, there, there is a really interesting juxtaposition of this, of finding, uh, and, and here's the question of this episode really is, is where is the balance between, uh, pleasure and, and, and work and, and development, um, and, I don't know if it really comes to any clear answers, because um, Cynthia brings to O'Neill this sense of of recognizing the the invaluable quality of a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is something that we really haven't seen in O'Neill grasp. Um, he's just kind right. of been right. this military man, mm-hmm. um, and, and in this moment, and he's kind of a go 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 type of, type of guy. Yeah. And here now, all he, he's he's in a situation where all he can do is just sit there and, and not he, he can't do much. I mean, he's eighty seven years old, right? And he's got a prostate problem that, he's not <laughs> that he doesn't go want into. to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> do you hope that? Uh, no, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Uh. <laughs> Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> I sure hope not. It's like, dude, you can't even. <sighs> you don't even have any Viagra. That, the best you got is hallucinogenics. That log he was sitting on was the closest thing to. Well, anyway. <laughs> so, so Brent, we currently do not have an explicit nope. rating and we don't want one. Nope. So <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to stay away from that. So, but, hey, look, but Cynthia yeah. uh, does help O'Neill recognize the value of a single moment. And then oh, that's a really sweet moment. And she's like, yeah. well, you know, I can't, I can't give you back what you've lost, but maybe I can give you this moment and help you see that this, this moment is valuable. And that's certainly something, uh, that the Argosians get Yeah, the value of an instant, you know, what can we do? We don't have thousands of days, right? So let's value the time that we have. Right. And so that's actually a really good message. I like that. Yeah. No, I was definitely jamming on that, which brings me to that quote that you were reading. See how I'll bring it back together. There you go. I'll bring it it back together. So what I was hearing from that quote is that uh, the 
uh, the writer of the story, Stephen Barnes. So the quote again, life is wonderful, complex, demanding game. The only, the way to win is to decide what you want. Focus on that goal. Surround yourself with people who will support your dream and nurture the ability to laugh at yourself. So that there, there's a little bit of plan. There's obviously planning in that quote. He's thinking of the future when he's doing that. But what I hear in that quote is also kind of an attention to the now, like, mm-hmm. you know, keep focusing on what you can do now for that aim. Um, and there's some, um, you know, there is definitely some uh, trouble that can come if you are focusing only on the now. So that one particular line, surround yourself with people who will who will support that goal. Uh, I was also hearing. Uh, a sub message in there, which is if you have people who don't support your goal, you know, they need to be moving along. That can be problematic. If that's the person you want to be, that's the person you want to be. I, that I'm a strong proponent of figuring out who you want to be and then sticking with it. But, uh, there's, there's costs, there are prices to pay with that kind of thing. Uh, but I was still hearing echoes of that idea yeah. in the construct of this episode, right? So the notion of that uh, you have a very short amount of time, and so what do you want to do with it, and focus on that. Yeah. Okay, so there's one more thing that I want to talk about that I thought well, thought was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So these people, in one way or another, have been worshipping Pelops for Countless generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't remember a time when Pelops uh, wasn't their deity. Mm-hmm. Although somehow they recognize the story. The story has passed on that, that Pelops brought them here as the chosen. Um, but so O'Neill gets old and he's cranky. And they're like, well, we don't have know what to do. So we're going to pray to Pelops to maybe fix this and come and get this right. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, oh, Pelops doesn't give a rat's ass about you. <laughs> he thinks of you as slaves. And they're all of a sudden, Pelops thinks of us as slaves? Well, then I'm not going to worship him anymore. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Seriously? Right. That's what it takes? Right, right. Like, all it took was somebody to say the words. I mean, wow. That was a serious quick turn. I mean, yeah. in, in the net, like, previous episode, right, uh, Teal goes to Shackle and says, Shackle, Apophis is a false god. Which is sort of like saying, you're Apophis's slave. Yeah, right. And, uh, and Shackle understandably goes... You are full of it. Yes. Teal. Right. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. You're lying. You're, you're a Shova. Yeah. Right. And here we have like, he thinks of you as like, he, he thinks, thinks of you as slave. I'm a slave. I mean, you know, it's needed to, to progress the story. Yes. But it's like, oh my God. I mean, it would have been better. So I'm doing that thing that nerds love to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to rewrite the story. Um, it would have been better, even though 87 year old uh, uh, O'Neill couldn't have physically uh, pulled off uh, a, a shoving of the statue over. Right. But having something happen where the people don't believe at first, the words are not believed, but an event happens to knock the statue over. And now there's this bleepy bloopy thing in the base. Yeah. Something, right? Something, something to uh, provide kind of an, in, uh, an ir- uh, irrefutable evidence that what they had believed was not the full story. But instead, now we're just going to rush it. We're going to be like, you know, you're okay, slaves. We've already reached the 37 minute mark and we only have seven right? more minutes to finish the story. <laughs> so we got to speed it up here. All right, old man, you're taking too much time. Let's get <laughs> let's get going. Come on. 
Yeah. In your big boy pants. Yeah, there was... Uh, when I was watching it, I wasn't quite as aware of these plot hole parts of the story as I am now as we're kind of talking it through. And so as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, this is fun. It wasn't life-changing, but it was, yeah, it was fine. But now it's like really struggling to pass muster. <laughs> like, oh, right. Like, how did they do this? And why did they yeah. do it that way? Okay. So I said I had one more thing to talk about, and I actually, that was a lie. I have another thing. Okay, you got, you got one more. One more thing. thing. Okay, so at the end, right, they... they destroy the nanites and and the people are no longer going to be rapidly aging and right. this is a great thing and uh uh you know and and and, and carter says to o'neill says you know what we'll see you back on tuesday basically mm-hmm. and he's like what i look like my grandfather and, and he's like yeah look being the operative word right with the nanites gone your immune system is going to fix you back to them i'm like okay it's a little bit of a stretch but it's sci-fi i'll right. buy it sure okay but here's here's my question if that is true for o'neill right why is it not true for the rest of the argosians are they gonna revert to like babies? and if it is true <laughs> then now you have a society of infants, of infants. <laughs> and some of them functionally knew i mean so yeah. kintia was yeah. 31 days. days yeah okay i i got a chance to meet my nephew who was uh uh, four months old a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago um, and and you know wonderful little kid yeah beautiful but he's four months old yeah he's still figuring out what these meat things are <laughs> at the ends of his arms and his appendages he can you know he could you know prop himself up a uh-huh. little bit when he's on his belly he can sure. lift his head up yeah and that's about it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean yeah. his most exciting thing is to giggle so the the best uh, and, and let's see here. Four months. 120. That's 120 days. Yeah. That's older. Yes. Than the oldest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, the, 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 the best thing I can come up with with retcon on that one is that if the nanites. So um, I think that it, a decent uh, deus ex machina aspect of this is are the nanites. Right. Sure. Like we can bank a lot of stuff off of that. It wasn't done in the story. It would have been some nice little techno babble if they had thrown us a bone in that one. Like the nanites are sculpting the memories and they are affecting the physiological changes and they are et cetera, et cetera. Um, no, but it still doesn't add up because if it does that, then O'Neill is now permanently 80 something years old. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's it, you, it's either it's, it's one or the other it's one or the other. Right. <laughs> it can't be both. Um, and here again, you get to the problem of, of communication and, and verbalization and, and just, you know, human yeah. living. Um, 30 days is not long enough for the human brain, even if it's maturing rapidly. Oh, yeah. To oh, get no. through that process. No, I mean, like, again, the best thing that I could spin would be that the nanites are just like literally sculpting everything. And if that's the case, you have ruined the experiment of oh yeah of oh yeah experiment. Oh my gosh, this thing is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think uh, okay. So, yeah. so anything else, Brent? Uh, no, I'm ready to I'm ready to lay waste on my judgments right. on this one. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so rating it out of seven chevrons. Uh-huh. I'm going to go first this okay, time. I right. just bumped the mic. That's I'm sorry fine. About it'll, that. it's, it'll be fine. Okay. We'll so, leave it in. Um, this will never air. I'm kidding. I'm just curious. 
Oh, Brent. <laughs> it's a phrase from a podcast that I like to listen to. They're like, it's fine. It, it, it always airs. That's the uh-huh. thing. That's yeah. why it's oh, the joke. Okay. Okay. All right. I thought you were talking about the whole episode. Like, no. It wasn't that bad. No. We did a good job. We're doing great. It's, it's, we're doing great, Zach. It's fine. We're okay. great. All right. So, uh, this episode, we have <laughs> talked through just about all of the plot holes. Maybe you found more plot holes? Yeah. You know what you should do if you found more plot holes? Email us at, at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That's W A L K T H R O G. Oh, you, you, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. You got it wrong. W A L K I N G. All right, so, um, despite all of that, um, you know, the plot holes are immense, but when you just sit back and let the story unfold and you just kind of go with it, yes, it's kind of a fun story, yes. So, I'm going to give this one, let's see here, i got to look at what I gave uh, the Knox last week. I think I gave the Knox uh, a five and a half, if I recall correctly. And, I think it's right. And, oh, come on. Oh, technology. I love it when technology doesn't Technology. There, okay, yeah, yeah, in fact, I yeah. gave it a five and a half. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> I, I'm actually going to give this one, I'm going to give it a three. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not Emancipation Bad. No, it's not Emancipation Bad. I mean, Emancipation Bad had just as many plot holes. Yes. And it was sexist. Yes. And racist. Yes. And it was a bad story. Yes. Yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. Yeah. So, kudos to you, Catherine. You're getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have a separate Catherine Powers scale. <laughs> like, we could chart her... <laughs> Oh, that would be funny. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, all of that aside, yes, I am going to give Brief Candle yeah. three, three chevrons. chevrons. Okay. So, originally, I was viewing this episode as a three or a four chevron episode. But in the same way that as we were talking about the first commandment and we ended up shifting our our enjoyment of the episode based off of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I'm going to shift my enjoyment based off the conversation. Okay. <laughs> because what started off as a pretty fun little romp in a story that is kind of done before and it's not particularly novel and it kind of meanders around a little bit and lands in a spot where it's kind of predictable. What would otherwise be kind of a, an enjoyable 40 minutes of television. Mine is starting to tank. Because of the aspects of the story, which were uh, unexplored, and it probably wouldn't have been very difficult to explore them. And so as a result, it just feels lazy. It's it's uh, it's a story that uh, is a trope. And instead of, uh, you know, trying to think of it a little differently and um, also trying to be respectful of the audience uh, to create explanations as to why these weirdnesses exist. Um, they're just kind of just mosey along and shove a bunch of uh, poo on the plate and pass it across <laughs> the table and be like, here you go. Here's your episode for this week. So um, I'm going to give Brief Candle. I'm going to give it a two. I, I was struggling between a one and a two. One is truly deplorable. Uh, so if if okay. seven is truly representing the zenith of television and I'm not going to go there, I can't really go to a one unless it's emancipation bad. And uh, it's not emancipation bad. And it's not bad. emancipation bad. So I'm going to give it a two. All right. So Brent gives Brief Candle a two. I give it a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, despite all of its problems, I don't think it is. It doesn't tank it quite as much for me as it does for Brent. Yeah. 
But All right. So our next episode, Brent, yeah. is Thor's Hammer. Uh-huh. And just so, just so you know, because we're in the same space, Brent hasn't seen Thor's Hammer. And nope. If we plan everything the way we hope to, and it's getting a little bit later in the morning as than we were hoping, but our plan is to watch it together yeah. Yeah. and see what happens. Maybe, uh, maybe do a little recording. Maybe. And uh, maybe that'll turn into some bonus content. Absolutely. But uh, we don't know. So. We don't know. So, Thor's Hammer. Yeah. What is Thor's Hammer about? Okay, so I need a little bit of help before I get going. Can okay. you remind me of the name of Marvel Thor's Hammer? Astergard? Uh, no, that's the place there. Uh, uh, Mjolnir. Mjolnir! That's right. Okay. Thor's Hammer. In a world where Mjolnir is a character of Stargate SG-1. So Thor's Hammer. What was that? That was me trying to remember the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Da, 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 da. Um, Thor's hammer is a story. The SG one team travels through the gate and they land in a place that is mythical and, 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 and magnificent. They start to walk down this extraordinarily long pier towards this glistening city in the background. And as they start to approach, out of nowhere, this ringing, whooshing sound, and a, 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 a projectile just cracks straight into Teal's skull, crashing him to the ground, killing him instantly. This is the last we see. I get. I know that he's on the promo posters for later seasons. That's just because he's a ghost. We'll get there. But Teal'c dies <laughs> and out walks this extraordinarily handsome, tall, fully built, uh, longish, shortish haired, one eyed, two eyed person who uh, speaks spoilers. in spoilers. I don't know who we're talking about yet. Do oh. we? <laughs> Do you like how I suddenly got really got deer in the headlights on that one? <laughs> uh, whatever. Anyway, so out walks this extremely handsome person with a with a with a with, with something of a of a of a British Australian accent, and he apologizes profusely. Uh, and the entire episode is them dealing with the consequences of them ending up in what's the place called again? Astrogar? Astgar? Asgard. Asgarden. Asgard. Asgard. Oh, yeah, that's it. Asgard. Asgard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can you tell that the Marvel Universe is not my strength? <laughs> yeah, so they end, up at, they end up in the Marvel MCU. Wow. Yeah. So does, does uh, this uh, British, Australian, tall, handsome guy yeah. join SG-1 at that point in time? Oh, yeah, no, he totally takes Teal's place. Yeah, and turns into Teal! That's how it works out! <laughs> Teal suddenly gets a lot stronger, and his staff is a lot cooler, turning oh, wow. into Thor's hammer. But, but the hammer is his staff. <laughs> it's Captain, Captain Hammer now. <laughs> I'm just pulling in oh, all wow. the references. They're just coming in left, right, okay. and center. So if you don't know what he's talking about when he talks about Captain Hammer, uh -huh. um, well, that means you probably weren't in... Yeah, okay. It's okay. So, it's okay. If you don't know, email us, and yeah. we'll explain it to you. Absolutely. I promise I will spend time in that email explaining what I mean when I say like that the Captain. Hammer is, is his staff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, so how'd I so, do? So let's, let's uh, watch... Oh, let's see. Wait, where did it go? Oh, I put it over here. There okay, it is. all right. Okay, so here is Thor's, Thor's hammer. hammer. A power.
powerful ally. Our gods are great and powerful warriors. As a weapon that can destroy Earth's enemy. I think that this is Thor's hammer. But a fatal mistake oh. targets Teal and O'Neill. See, I was cheating a little. I, I saw man. that screen cap. Trapped oh. in a deadly labyrinth. I am Thor. This no, you're not. With no way that to escape. That is not Thor. Is this SG-1's oh, final oh. hour? On the next Stargate SG-1. Oh no, Teal, what's happening to you? I mean, I doubt he really dies, but boy. So that definitely wasn't a tall, handsome Australian dude, though, as Thor. That's true. So I'm already disappointed. Well, to be fair, the tall, handsome Australian dude wasn't Thor in 97. He was like... He was like five. (laughs) (laughs) He's still trying to figure out which hand to color with. (laughs) This one or this one? Dada, I'm going to be Thor someday. Yeah, son, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's going to be Thor's hammer then. So that is Thor's hammer. And let me... So, uh, uh, this is me filling up time poorly. Crap, that's the wrong file. We're just looking for the show notes. There we go, go. show notes. Found them. Yeah, found them. All right, you can edit this out. I'll totally edit it. Uh, I know you will. I'm sure you will. It'll be fine. This is is terrible audio. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was good audio. Now it's awful. Now it's just just terrible. (laughs) So, that is the air episode on Brief Candle. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final comments, Brent? Uh, Catherine better get her writing game together. That's all I've got to say. Okay, well, I'm going to warn you. Oh, boy. Catherine Powers. Yes. Wrote the teleplay. Yeah. For Thor's Hammer. Oh, you did mention that. Oh, no. It's going to be terrible. Well, no. We're trying to get her to trend upwards, right? So her first uh, appearance in Stargate SG-1, she got an... You gave, I gave it a 1, you gave it a 0.5, so that's what, a 0.75? And this one, uh, you gave it a 3, I gave it a 2, so that's 2.5. So she's trending up she's sharply. Trending up with, you know, so honey. this next one's probably going to be a 5. This is going to be like a 6 or a 7. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, uh, boy. Maybe this morning. Maybe this morning. Okay, let's quit talking. Okay. <laughs> so, so we're going to close this out so that we can go watch this episode. Uh-huh. So if you want to get a hold of us, email us at, at walking through the Stargate at gmail.com. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Yes. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. So email us and uh, let us know what you think about Brief Candle. Yeah. Uh, this is good. That, with that, yeah, this, this is, is a great one. This is good. I'm Zach. <laughs> and I'm Brent. And uh, this is Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. See ya. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.